Thank you so much for sitting down and talking with us. Can you tell me about Lily's Place a little bit and the work that you all do here? Sure. Lily's Place um, started in 2014 as a neonatal abstinence syndrome center, and that is um, for babies who have been prenatally exposed to substances. And sometimes those substances are illegal drugs, and sometimes they are legal drugs like methadone, things like that, that they're using the right way, but they still have an effect on the infant. So um, once they're born, they need to be weaned from that. And so that's what we do. We help them do that as quickly, comfortably, and safely as possible. How did this all like get started and come about? Well, um, we had, I believe it was two nurses and a volunteer who worked in the NICU at the hospital, and they saw that it was just not the right atmosphere for these babies. It wasn't working well for any of them because it was, we had our babies with NAS who are really sensitive to light and sound and things like that. And in a NICU, you've got machines beeping and just the bright lights to keep an eye on them, things like that. So it wasn't good for the NAS babies. And then it also wasn't good for um, taking up space for babies who have really intense health problems that need to have those machines. So um, they started looking around and started praying for an answer to this. And um, after a lot of research and prayer and community support, Lily's Place was born. Um, so you're developing some newer things with like mental health and stuff like that. You can talk a little bit about that. Sure, yeah, I'm excited about it. Awesome. <laughs> we have our family center, which is just around the corner, mm -hmm. and we have um, a wonderful counselor named Cherie who just started recently, and um, she is doing a lot of counseling with with adults too, but we really wanna um, focus on some prevention for children as well um, to kind of break the cycle of addiction and, and just to help them, even if there's been no history of it, to kind of help them develop healthy skills to cope with things so that addiction isn't or substance use isn't something that they might go to when things get hard. So um, we're really excited about that. And then we also have our case manager, like I talked about, who is really great about helping people get their needs met, helping them get housing, helping them make sure that they um, are prepared to go for a job interview or to find employment, things like that. So how can the community get involved and support the work that you guys are doing here? Um, there are several ways. Number one, and most important, and it sounds like I'm just saying the right answer, but prayer. <laughs> we can always use prayer, um, not just for our finances, but that's a big one, but also for our staff, um, and definitely praying for our families and the babies that we have, the, the ones that are going to come through here, and the ones that have been through here. So keeping those in prayer is a big one. What are some hurdles and challenges as like an organization that you guys face? Funding. <laughs> Funding for sure, because we don't turn people away. I mean, for our family center where we do counseling and all of that, um, a lot of times insurance companies will have kind of a cutoff of like you can come this many times or for this long and we do not cut people off for that. If you need counseling, you come here for counseling. Lily's Place kind of as a whole um, relies about 50% on outside funding, whether that's grants or community support, support from churches and individuals and organizations. So we are really grateful that we've been able to stay at this this long with the ongoing support from everybody. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for, for sitting down and just sharing with us today. Um, 
Lily's Place is truly just impacting the most vulnerable population in our state, and we just love that. And our church actually has this thing called the Dollar Club, where once a month we ask everyone to throw in an extra dollar and we find either a need or an organization that's just doing awesome work. And we actually have a check for you guys today from the Dollar Club for $4,809.21. Oh, you're going to make me cry again. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank oh, you. We are grateful. Thank you guys. That's an awesome program. Yes, we love it. <laughs> Thank you. We do love it, right? Yeah. Yes. Hey, Lily's Place is an awesome organization. You should check out and find out a little bit more about it for sure on there. But great job, guys, with Dollar Club. Continually to give to that so that we can be a light into the organizations around the ministries around us, even outside of River Ridge. So awesome to be a part of those things for sure. Well, River Ridge, I am so happy to be in worship with you. My name, if we haven't met yet, my name is Blair. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, it is so awesome to worship this morning together with you. There's something special about singing songs together. I, I don't know what it is. There are some days where my responsibilities take me out of the ability to be here and to sing the worship that we do to start the service, but there's something, something that happens when you're a part of that, when you are singing together with other believers, specifically singing truths about God, recognizing the truths about God, the, the things that God tells us about himself, the things that God says about his people, the things that he tells us that we are on mission, and being able to sing those and declare those together, that we're on mission together in a lot of ways, and to also recognize who God is as we sing Waymaker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, uh, so awesome truths that we get to say. Andy kicked off this series that we're in with a couple of verses about some truths about what God says about us and what, what, what he says about himself as well. Titus 3.8 says it this way. Check this out. No more. Oh, the saying, this saying, this saying that I'm getting ready to tell you, this saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for all people. And then he also gave us Ephesians 2, and he said this, for we are his workmanship. Say that word with me, workmanship. Say that word with me. Workmanship. Now that can be translated to handiwork, masterpiece. We are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He said, insist on these things, brothers. I want you to make sure that the people, they do not forget that they are on mission. They are on a mission. I created them specifically for a purpose to set aside, and I set aside some good works for them to do for the benefit of all the people. Those whom I rescued, I saved. Those who I called, that, that I saved, I called them and I put them on a mission. I sent them to do these good works out in the world so that others might experience the abundant life. God did call his people on mission and we know from experience though that sometimes we get off of track, we get off of mission and it's a fight to stay on mission. So we, over the last few weeks here at River Ridge, are saying in our lives no more to some things that are in our lives. So we can have a better relationship with our Heavenly Father. No more to some things in our lives, these things that are hindering and handcuffing us from the ability to be on mission and do the works that he called us to do. 
Over the last two weeks, we've said no more to a couple of things. The first week, we said no more to distractions, things that are taking time and space and attention in our lives they, that, that aren't necessarily bad, but they're distracting us from what God prepared in advance for us to do. Like the Israelites, we have to cast down our idols so that they aren't taking space in our lives. No more to distractions. Then last week, Andy led us in no more disinterest. No, no more to just being apathetic about our faith. No more to just be pretending that we're a part of this mission or on this game. No more just pretending that we're following Jesus. We said we're getting in the game fully. We're not sitting on the sidelines any longer. We're not gonna just hope that we drift over towards God and his mission. We aren't hoping that we feel like it today. We're actually gonna recognize the mission and we're going after it completely. And Andy gave us a challenge, said we, if we put the first, if we put God first in our lives, it will, it will set us on the right trajectory. And he said, put God first in your day, put God first in your week, God first in your month, God first in your year, and then as a result, God will be first of your life as well. And this week, we're gonna say no more, no more to disdain. Let me pray for us real quick this morning. God, I am so grateful that we can be in this place today. I am so grateful that we can be here together with other followers, other people who are seeking to know your truth, other people who are trying to recognize who is God? What is his plan? And so I thank you that we can come here together. I thank you that we can worship you. I thank you that you transformed my life. Thank you for the gift of that. And as a result, God, no more to these other things that are blocking me from being able to follow after you fully. We lift this day up to you. God, thank you for your word. Help it to penetrate and change our hearts today. We love you, God. Amen. So I, I like these kinds of things that are helpful tools for me to remember something. You know, like using an acronym. Acronyms are re really helpful for sure. Like my discipleship group has this acronym. It's, it's HERE, H-E-A-R. And HERE stands for these four things. It stands for highlight, explain, apply, respond. Now we use this HERE in my discipleship group as a way to journal through God's word through our daily scripture reading. We, we highlight a verse, we explain the verses, we have, figure out an application for our lives, and then we respond to God from that. And it's really easy for me to remember, to be able to come back to my guys and say, here's what God is teaching me, here's how I, here's how I highlighted, here's how I heard this week. You can also do it, a uh, helpful tool is to put the first letter of each word make it the same thing so we can remember it. So like in our series that we're in currently, we, we've made them all five Ds, right? Distractions, disinterest, disdain. The problem is you can have a really great memory tool but not know what the word means at all. So like this week I was like disdain, I'm supposed to teach on disdain, I have no idea what the word disdain means. So I was like, let me if I, maybe if I practice using it in a sentence, I always see that in those kind of spelling competitions, they'll use it in a sentence. Can you please use it in a sentence for me? So I was like, hey, we all need to stop disdaining each other because we're gonna be late for work. That doesn't sound right. All right, uh, oh no thanks, I got enough disdain, I don't need any more, thank you very much, I'm good. <laughs> I got enough. No, that doesn't sound right either. Uh, hey, would you mind taking that disdain out when you go? 
So it's fun for me to make sentences up like that, but it really didn't help me understand the word anymore. And like my son Jonah, he, he told me that it's, it's just as fine to just make up your own definitions for words, but he'll sometimes do it on something that's such a common word that I'm like, dude, you can't say that. That already has its own meaning. And since I don't let him do it, I figured I better look this up and figure out what it was actually about. So here's what Google or a dictionary or someone smarter than me said it means. Here's our definition. Disdain means the feeling that something or someone is unworthy of one's consideration or respect. Oh yeah, that's bad for sure. We definitely wanna say no more to that around here. Because when we look at this definition, this isn't some kind of indifference to people. It's looking at someone and making a judgment about them and saying they really aren't worth my time. I mean, it can be a split second decision. You could see somebody on the side of the road and look at them, see what they're dressed like and determine whether you're gonna roll down your window or not. You know, it can be a very split second decision. It could also be a long term, you know, a long time. Like you could know someone for a long time in your life, be with them for years and years and saying, they're not worth my time. I really don't wanna consider them at all. But what's crazy about this disdain is the, the feeling doesn't just come from by itself. It doesn't just come out of nowhere. It's this idea that there's almost a judgment that has to happen, that there has to be some kind of source of the reason why I feel like this person doesn't have that. And as I was thinking about that, that feeling comes from a place called pride. There's a source for it, it's pride. Now pride, I do know that word, and I know the dangers of pride. Here are a couple of quick things that I know about pride. First, pride, it's sneaky. Sneaky. See, for a lot of us, pride comes from a place where we are trying to improve our lives. Like if you were getting in shape and you did all the work and you worked hard, you got in shape, you got yourself to a great place, you might look at other people saying, hey, you can do it, I did it, you can do it too. Maybe they don't show the same interest in it that you do. And you get to a point where you're almost thinking, hey, they're a lazy person, you know? Like, they're not worth my time. They're, they're kind of lazy. You might even rabbit trail to the point where then when you're looking at them that say they're a bad parent. I mean, look at you. You're modeling unhealthiness for your kid. I know what's best. That, that's not best. A couple of years ago, my daughter wanted to play soccer, so I signed her up. I didn't volunteer to coach because you know, I really didn't think I had the time for it in my schedule, and also I know nothing about soccer. So I was like, I'm not the person to do this for sure. Someone obviously has way more skills and they're way more experts at this than I am. So I go to the practices and I watch, and I go to the games and I watch. And somewhere along the way, I started saying, this dude knows nothing about coaching whatsoever. I mean, he needs to have those kids doing this. Those kids need to be over there doing this. Those kids should be being taught how to do this. I don't know why that kid is even in that position. He can't do anything. And then there's a group of people over there that are not doing anything. Why is the coach not coaching? And dude, did it sneak up on me? Because I started from a place that I don't have the skills, I'm not the expert, and got to a place where I look so down on this person that I'm like, they're not even worth my respect, they're not even a good coach. 
slowly I started down this path, they really aren't worth my respect. Not verbally, but it kind of snuck up on me a little bit and I had disdain for this person because of the pride I thought I knew better than they did. Maybe we need some kind of check marks to try to figure out where this is in our life. So I came up with a snuck up checklist. It snucks up on you. So here are some questions that maybe you can ask yourself. One, are there a lack of truth tellers in my life? Like when you look around the people that are in your life, is everybody always like, you're doing so awesome, you're so perfect, you are so great, yes, 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 yes. And nobody, when you look at your people, are truth tellers in your life. Is a possibility that pride has snuck up on you. Is there a lack of harmony in your relationships? You look around and you feel like there's just this underlying tension every time I'm around these people, maybe because you feel judged by them, but maybe because you're judging them and it just doesn't feel like that connection is there. Do you have the inability to celebrate other people's successes? It might be because pride has snuck up in your life. Are you overly self-reliant? Like, it's okay to be self-reliant. It's okay to be able to do some things, but it's not good to be overly self-reliant. So I don't know what that line is, but if you look at it and you say, I'm self-reliant or over self-reliant, and you start looking at it and you're like, I might be overly self-reliant, you're probably overly self-reliant. Pride has probably snuck up on your life in some way or another. Another thing I know about pride is this, is that it poisons joy. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, pride gets no pleasure out of having something only out of having more of it than the next man. Like when you got that job, man, I am so blessed to have got this job until I realized that so-and-so makes more money than me and he's nowhere near as good of an employee as I am. There was joy, pride came in and poisoned it and there was no more joy. And I was so happy that my son got playing time on the varsity game. It's a big honor until I realized that that kid got less, that my kid got less minutes than that kid. That kid's nowhere close to the skill of my kid. Hey, Andy, this guy just told me the most encouraging thing about my message this week. It really brought me a lot of joy. Oh, yeah, 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 that guy tells me that all the time. That's not a true story. I don't, know. I don't know why I use that example. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. All the good things in our lives get poisoned because our pride says, unless I have more of it than the other guy, then it's not a joy, it's a travesty. Another thing I know about pride that I learned from the Bible is that it comes right before the fall. Proverbs 16, 18, it says this, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness, arrogance before a fall. Proverbs 18 says, proud people will be ruined. God's very clear here. Pride kills. It destroys joy and ultimately it destroys us altogether. Let's just have an honest moment here real quick. Let's just have a quick honest moment here. If you've ever struggled with pride, let's just put it out there. If you've ever struggled with pride, let me hear you. Let me see you raise your hand. Any pride, pride, pride. Okay, 
Most everybody, everybody, yeah, everybody's raising their hands. People that didn't raise your hands, just so you know, you're being prideful about not being prideful. <laughs> and you're acting like I'm not worthy of your time to even raise your hand, you prideful people. But let's see what Jesus has to say about this. Matthew 23 is a great place to go. And so if you wanna turn in your Bibles this morning, Matthew 23, we're gonna start in verse one and we're gonna read through some of this, this together. All right, verse one, it says, then Jesus, okay, hold on, I gotta stop. Every time I see then Jesus, if you've been around me very long or you've been around this place very long, then you know then Jesus, but Jesus, when Jesus, therefore Jesus is like my favorite parts of the Bible because when Jesus gets ready to enter a scene, things are about to change. But starting with a then Jesus is a little bit difficult to do because you're like, what happened before that then Jesus? So if you were to read back in chapter 22, you would see uh, a set of uh, like different scenario, not scenarios, different scenes where Jesus is being questioned by several different groups of people, questioned about all kinds of different things. And they weren't trying to ask Jesus, hey, we really wanna find out what, the, what you have to say about this Jesus. Their goal was they were spiritual leaders and they were trying to make Jesus say the wrong thing so that they could discredit him so that everybody that was following him would stop following him. They didn't have to worry about it anymore. The problem was is that it backfired on him a little bit, you know? They, not only did they ask Jesus questions, he answers their questions, but at the end, he decides to ask them a question in which they have no answer for. And 22, the last verse of 22 actually says, it was such a mic drop moment. Check this out, such a mic drop moment. From that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. <laughs> Whoa! This is like one of our favorite scenes from the movies where the little shy guy all of a sudden stands up to the bullies and puts them in their place and then they're stuck. And that's really what happened here. From that moment on, nobody wanted to ever ask Jesus a question again because they were too scared that they were gonna look foolish for it. They didn't know who they were messing with for sure. But let's keep reading. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, these spiritual leaders that he was just talking to, sit on Moses' seat. So, 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 do and observe whatever they tell you. That's pretty cool, right? Like, that was pretty nice. Jesus is having this little battle with the Pharisees and scribes, and he kind of puts them in their place, and then he turns to his disciples in the crowds and starts just teaching them right there in front of the guys that he just mic dropped on them a second before that. And he said, Hey, disciples, crowds, these guys over here, they sit on Moses' seat. Now, Moses' seat is a really special actual seat in the synagogues. It's kind of elevated up in the synagogue so that everybody who's looking at the person that sits in that seat can hear and they can see him well, and it's a place of honor. So he said, everybody who sits in this seat, in Moses' seat, these guys know the Torah so well. Listen, these scribes, these dudes that, that are doing it, they know it so well. So whatever they teach you, whenever they teach you, whatever they say, do it. Be careful. Make sure that you observe everything they teach you. Do exactly how they say. Be careful to listen because they're teaching you God's word and that's right and true. That was nice of Jesus, right? He just be, you know, made them look foolish. 
Then he raised them back up, and they're like, oh, yeah, 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 we're good. Let's read on just a little bit here. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. See, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, and they put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves, they're not even willing to lift a finger to help them. These guys, they were experts on the law. They were experts. They were so knowledgeable of it. The scribes would letter for letter rewrite the Bible over and over and over again so they knew it so perfectly well. The Pharisees knew the Torah so far inside and out that they were actually the experts to help people understand how do you practice Old Testament commands in modern day, and they would help them to understand it. They, they were also, especially when it came to like the, um, the, the uh, sacrificial rituals, like how do we practice that in this time, or how to keep the Sabbath holy. So maybe a person looks at their rabbi and they're coming up to him and they're just wanting some clarity on how to keep the Sabbath maybe. They're like, we know it's wrong to work on the Sabbath, but what constitutes work? And so maybe they'd come up to him, rabbi, 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 question. Can I gather some food out of my garden on the Sabbath? And the rabbi might say, no, you need to keep the Sabbath holy. Gathering food out of your, your garden would be work. You don't wanna do that. So don't do that, my son. Okay, uh, Rabbi, what if this is the first day that I've been able to get food and it's been a week because I've been sick and we don't have any food in our house? Well, my son, you must keep the Sabbath holy, so you should have hired somebody else for that. Okay, Rabbi, what if my children are dehydrated? Can I go out to the well, pull up water out of the well for them so that they have some water? Rabbi, Rabbi, what if I don't pull up the water? What if somebody else pulls up the water for me and they hand it to me? Can I give it to my kids and that still be holy? The people had grown such a reliance on these leaders because they knew things that they didn't. They were there to help them to remain holy in God's sight, but Jesus points out that these guys say stuff, but they don't practice their own things they say. They just pile on top of people rules that they can't handle, and the Pharisees do nothing to actually help them out at all. In Luke 14, Jesus is giving an example of this. He's at a house of a prominent Pharisee, a really important leader. There were lots of other experts of the law that were there, and there was also another man who was suffering from this swelling in his body. Jesus looks over at the experts and the Pharisees, at the Pharisees and says, is it lawful, is it lawful to heal a man on the Sabbath or not? See, the Pharisees looked at that, they heard the question, they didn't know if they wanted to answer that question. Because healing was work and that's forbidden on the Sabbath, you can't do that. But it's also really a really good thing to do, to heal someone. And in their particular case, there was actually a man suffering of something right there beside of them. Jesus knows how to answer it. Jesus does what he does. Jesus heals the man and then sends him on his way. And he looks back at the leaders and decides to ask them a rhetorical question. He says, okay, now guys, if one of you has an ox 
that falls down into the well on the Sabbath day, don't you just immediately pull it back out? What if one of your children, what if one of your children fall down in the well on the Sabbath? It's okay, sweetie. You fell down on the Sabbath. Just tread water down there. I'll be back tomorrow to get you. I hope you don't die. Bye. No, it was like a rhetorical. They were like, you immediately pull them out of there. They were the experts on the law, but they had lost sight of what they were doing. And they had started putting these restrictions on people in such a way that wasn't helpful for anyone anymore. For most of us, if we allow ourselves, we can actually understand the Pharisees a little bit more. I mean, if people are coming up to you all the time and they want to know what you know, if you're the expert, if you have the ability, then it does. It starts to puff you up a little bit when everybody's coming to you. And this just wasn't answers about movie trivia, about who was that lady that played in that movie, Blank and Blank? No, this was, they were the experts on God's law, on what God had to say. They were significant people that had important topics to discuss, and they were the experts. But somewhere along the way, they lost sight of their role and really started to just get bought into their own importantness. Jesus goes on in verse five, and he says this, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. I mean, when we read this, we're, we're totally with Jesus on this. I can't believe those guys go around with such wide phylacteries. How dare them, the pride that they have in their big, wide phylacteries. Hey, hey, what size are your phylacteries? I don't know. I don't know what a phylactery is. I hope it's not wide. Jesus obviously doesn't like them wide. Jesus wasn't actually that concerned about the size of phylacteries or tassels or any of those things, though. He was making a point that the Pharisees themselves were using them as a show of their importance and their attitude towards others because of them. Dude, that is a nice corner office you have right here. Ooh, you are something special. Dang, dude, you got a ton of initials behind your name on your emails. You got a BS, a BA, an MA, a blah, 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 blah. Dude, that's an awesome car. That is, thing is incredible. You must be somebody. But Jesus, looking at them, said, but you... You, my disciples, those who followed me, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you already have one teacher, and you guys are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he's in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, one instructor and that's the Messiah. Titles come from all different places in our lives. Doctor gotta be called doctor, coach, director, senior accountant, team mom, president of the PTO, pastor. Hey, don't step on my toes. Hey, I don't believe Jesus is 
uh, outlawing the practice of titles here altogether, though. He's trying to get the people to understand something about pr- what pride will do. It's dangerous. It's dangerous because it causes you to want to put focus more and more on yourself. It, it wants you to take the spotlight and put it on yourself. But the focus isn't supposed to be on me. This focus is supposed to be on Jesus. But what pride does is it causes me to make sure that the focus is on me. And these guys loved the way it felt when they would walk out and people treated them and gave them such attention. Look at us, how great we are, how wise we are. We know all these things. Now, we don't use those words. We don't say it in words, but we are fighting for our place all the time. We're working to carve out a name for ourselves that everybody will remember. We want to be remembered. We want to be respected and loved, and when it isn't coming, we find ways to put the spotlight back on on ourselves. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Look at this, what I did. Look at this, what I did. I did this. I helped with this. Look at me, look at me. Jesus closes out his time with his disciples by saying this to them. He says, I want you to know something. The greatest among you will actually be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Okay, stop pride, got it. That I could, probably could have told you that beforehand. I didn't need you to tell me all this, Blair. But the thing about it is, is that it doesn't work that easy, though, does it? It's like when someone is worried about something and someone tells you, hey, you don't need to be worried about that. Oh, thanks, dude. I'm not worried about it anymore. <laughs> it just went away just like that. And it's the same with pride. Pride's the same way. You can't just stop pride. You have to insert something else in there so it doesn't have any ability to grow. Jesus says here, you have to insert humility. And you have to be aggressive with it too. You can't just say, all right, I got some humility. As we get ready to close out our time this morning, Matthew 23, though, gives us three ways to actually kill our pride. By showing us what not to do that the Pharisees did, Jesus is also showing us what we do need to do to kill pride. The first thing that we need to do is don't fake don't fake. See, Jesus condemned the hypocrisy that was in them. They teach this, but they don't do it themselves. They act like they know everything, but in reality, they don't. They're liars. They're faking. You want to keep pride in your life? Keep faking it. Keep faking it. Keep putting the image that you are so great. You want to kill pride? Grow in humility. Be real. Be real, be real. Honesty paves the way for humility, which kills pride. This is one of our tenets in Ridge Groups. We say, show up, join in, be real. You wanna grow in your relationship with God and people? If I put up an image of myself that's up here, but really I'm only here, then what I'm saying to other people is that I don't trust you well enough to know me for real. And you know what that leads to? Them not trusting you well enough either. And so we don't have a place where we can be real and be honest and our pride keeps going higher and higher and pride breeds pride. Humility breeds humility. The second thing we can do 
that we need to do based on what we saw there is don't abuse knowledge. Knowing something should only allow us to help people more, not to gloat or show off about what we know. Instead, we need to be asking ourselves, how can I lift this person up with the knowledge I have? I've been struck with this statement over the last couple of years um, from, a, from a pastor that we follow a lot. And he says this, he says, the gospel came to you because it was headed to somebody else. When God changes our life and the truths with it, then we are to take those same truths and then pass them out wherever we can get them to. We don't wanna hoard up that knowledge. We wanna be looking around to say, who can I build up with this? Not hold knowledge like it's power, but freely give out the truth wherever we go. The other thing about knowledge is, is that oftentimes we can't, we, we fool ourselves into believing that we think we know more than we actually do. The third thing we need to make sure we do is don't presume. See, the Pharisees, the spiritual leaders, they loved their places of honor they would get. They would sit in the best seats at the banquets because they were the most special people. They would walk on the streets and they would expect people to say, good morning, rabbi. And if they didn't get it, I can only assume that they were probably a little bit frustrated with it because they loved to be honored. To us, we think about that and then we were like, that sounds pretty gross, actually. But have you ever said something like, after all I've done for them, I mean, it'd be nice to have someone recognize what I brought to this. It would be, reckon, it'd be just nice just to get a little pat on the back, just a little something of gratitude for all I've done. And as I say it that way, that doesn't even seem that big of a problem to us, but pride's sneaky. It's sneaky. And we aren't gonna kill pride by taking it lightly. Listen how Jesus teaches his disciples. He says it this way. He said, you also, when you've done what you were told to do, just say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. You wanna kill pride, don't presume that you deserve to be honored. It's crazy, it's countercultural. But we wanna say no more to some things in our lives that are keeping us from having a closer relationship with God and that are keeping us from being on mission for God to accomplish the good works that he prepared in advance. See, he deserves the spotlight, not us. But if we keep fighting for our name to be recognized, for us to be the one that's being seen, then we grow in our pride and he doesn't get the spotlight. Ultimately, we wanna live our lives just like Jesus did. And that's what Paul says in Philippians. He says, in your relationships with one another, in these things that you're doing with people, in the relationships you have, have the same mindset of Christ. Okay, what was that? Who, being in the very nature of God, he is God, he was God, he is God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of the servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. 
Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Jesus' humility killed pride's power. It took humility to go to the cross. It took humility for Jesus to become a man. It took humility for him to die the death that belongs to sinners. It took humility for him to do it in the way that was a criminal's way of dying on the cross. But the day Jesus died was the day that pride lost its power. He killed pride and paved the way for where real power exists. He challenges us to walk in his step and have the same attitude that he did. Kill your pride and live in the power of the cross. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for what you did on the cross for us. We will continually fall back into these sin things and as we continue to walk towards them. And yet, God, you, paid a, you paved a way that we didn't have to do that anymore. We don't have to continue to fall back into these ways of doing things because you created in us a new power, a power that when we yield to you, that we, when we humble ourselves, then you exalt us in a place that we can be used for you to put the spotlight on you. God, as a church, we want to say no more to these things in our lives, no more to distractions, no more to disinterest, and no more to looking down on people, and no more to our pride and this disdain that we have. God, we pray as you work in us this week that we would know your word, that it would penetrate our hearts, that we would uh, seek to understand it all the more as you're changing us to become more and more like you. Thank you for loving us all the way to the cross with that gift. Help us to say no more to these things. We love you, God. Amen. Hey, that's gonna conclude our services this week. Don't forget about Amazing Race. Grab your car. If you're not signed up, go get signed up. Matt and Ryan are out there to see you. Get signed up, come be a part of it. See you guys next week.